Chapter 33 of Will Warburton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Will Warburton by George Gissing. Chapter 33. When Warburton reached his lodging the next evening, he found a letter on his table. Again the fine feminine hand. It was the second time that Rosamond had written to him. A vague annoyance mingled with his curiosity as he tore the envelope. She began by telling him of a drawing she had made in Camberwell Grove. Not bad, it seemed to her, but she wished for his opinion. Then, in a new paragraph, I have seen Norbert again. I call him Norbert, because I always think of him by that name, and there is an affectation in writing Mr. Franks. I felt that when we talked of him, and I really don't know why I didn't simply call him Norbert then. I shall do so in future. You, I am sure, have little respect for silly social conventions, and you will understand me. Yes, I have seen him again, and I feel obliged to tell you about it. It was really very amusing. You know, of course, that all embarrassment was over between us. At Ashted we met like the best of friends. So... When Norbert wrote that he wanted to see me, I thought nothing could be more natural and felt quite glad. But, as soon as we met, I saw something strange in him. Something seemed to have happened. And, how shall I tell you? It's only a guess of mine. Things didn't come to foolish extremities. But I really believe that the poor fellow has somehow persuaded himself that it is his duty to... No, I can't go on. "'But I'm sure you will understand. "'I was never so amused at anything. "'Why do I write this to you? "'I hardly know. "'But I have just a suspicion "'that the story may not come to you "'quite as a surprise. "'If Norbert thought he had asserted duty, "'strange idea, "'perhaps friends of his might see things "'in the same way. "'Even the most sensible people "'are influenced by curious ideas on one subject. "'I need not say that,' As soon as the suspicion dawned upon me, I did my best to let him understand how far astray he was going. I think he understood. I feel sure he did. At all events, he got into natural talk again and parted in a thoroughly reasonable way. I beg that you won't reply to this letter. I shall work on and hope to be able to see you again before long. Warburton threw the sheet of paper onto the table, as if dismissing it from his thoughts. He began to walk about the room. Then he stood motionless for ten minutes. What's the matter with me? This was the current of his musing. I used to think myself a fellow of some energy, but the truth is, I know my mind about nothing, and I am at the mercy of everyone who chooses to push me this way or that. He took up the letter again and was about to reread it, but suddenly altered his mind and thrust the folded paper into his pocket. Eight days went by. Will had a visit from Sherwood, who brought news that the whisky distiller had seemed a little better, but could not possibly live more than a week or two. As regards the vegetarian colony, all went well. Practical men were at work on the details of the scheme. Sherwood toiled for ten hours a day at secretarial correspondence. Next day there came a postcard from Rosamond. Work ready to show you? Could you come and have a cup of tea tomorrow afternoon? 
At the conventional hour, Will went to Oakley Crescent. Not, however, as he had expected to find Miss Elvin alone. With her sat Mrs. Pomfret in London for the afternoon. The simple and kindly lady talked as usual, but Will, nervously observant, felt sure that she was not quite at her ease. On the other hand, nothing could have been more naturally graceful than Rosamond's demeanour, whether pouring out tea, or exhibiting her water-colours, or leading the talk to subjects of common interest. She was charming in her own way, a way which borrowed nothing from the everyday graces of the drawing-room. Her voice, always subdued, had a range of melodious expression which caressed the ear, no matter how trifling the words she uttered, and at moments its slightly tremulous murmur on rich notes suggested depths of sentiment lying beneath this familiar calm. To her aunt she spoke with a touch of playful affection. When her eyes turned to Warburton, their look almost suggested the frankness of simple friendship, and her tone was that of the largest confidence. Never had Will felt himself so lulled to oblivion of things external. He forgot the progress of time, and only when Mrs. Pomfret spoke of the train she had to catch, made an effort to break the lazy spell and take his leave. On the morrow, and on the day after that, he shirked business during the afternoon, excusing himself with the plea the heat of the shop was insufferable. He knew that neglect of work was growing upon him, and again he observed that Alchin seemed rather pleased than vexed by these needless absences. The third day saw him behind the counter until five o'clock, when he was summoned as usual to the back parlour to tea. Laying before him a plate of watercress and slices of brown bread and butter, Mrs. Alchin, a discreetly conversational young woman, remarked on the continued beauty of the weather, and added a hope that Mr. Jolliman would not feel obliged to remain in the shop this evening. "'No, no, it's your husband's turn,' Will replied good-naturedly. "'He wants a holiday more than I do.' "'Walchin want a holiday, sir?' exclaimed the woman. "'Why, he never knows what to do with himself when he's away from business. He enjoys business, does Alchin. Don't you think of him, sir. I never knew a man so altered since he's been kept to regular work all the year round.' I used to dread the Sundays, and still more the bank holidays when we were here first. You never knew who he'd get quarrelling with as soon as he'd nothing to do. But now, sir, why, I don't believe you'll find a less quarrelsome man anywhere. And he was saying for a joke only yesterday, that he didn't think he could knock down even a coster. He so lost the habit. Will yielded and stole away into the mellowing sunshine. He walked westward till he found himself on the embankment by Albert Bridge. Here... After hesitating a while, he took the turn into Oakley Street. He had no thought of calling to see Miss Elvin. Upon that he could not venture. But he thought it barely possible that he might meet with her in this neighbourhood, and such a meeting would have been pleasant. Disappointed, he crossed the river, lingered a little in Battersea Park, came back again over the bridge, and, with a sudden leap of the heart, which all but made his whole body spring forward, saw a slim figure in grey moving by the parapet in front of Cheney Walk. They shook hands without speaking, very much as though they had met by appointment. Oh, these sunsets, were Rosamond's first words, when they had moved a few steps together. They used to be my delight when I lived there, 
Will replied, pointing eastward. Show me just where it was, will you? They turned and went as far as Chelsea Bridge, where Warburton pointed out the windows of his old flat. You were very happy there, said Rosamond. Happy? Not unhappy at all events. Yes, in a way I enjoyed my life, chiefly because I didn't think much about it. Look at the sky now. The sun had gone down in the duskily golden haze that hung above the river's vague horizon. Above, on the violet sky, stood range over range of pleated clouds, their hue the deepest rose, shading to purple in the folds. In other countries, continued the soft, murmuring voice, I have never seen a sky like that. I love this London. As I used to, said Warburton, and shall again. They loitered back past Chelsea Hospital, exchanging brief, insignificant sentences. Then for many minutes neither spoke, and in this silence they came to the foot of Oakley Street, where again they stood gazing at the sky. Scarcely changed in form, the western clouds had shed their splendour, and were now so coldly pale that one would have imagined them stricken with moonlight. But no moon had risen, only in a clear space of yet blue sky glistened the evening star. I must go in, said Rosamond abruptly, as though starting from a dream. End of chapter 33